The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. From the scripture, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, I invite you to stand as I read from the word of God. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have, all have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the earth, all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now as we take up your word that you would speak to our hearts, to our minds, and that we would hear from you today. Lord, we need to be corrected, we need to be enlightened, we need to be brought to the place of repentance. So Lord, speak to us, lead us. Empower me yet again this hour to preach your word. And Holy Spirit, enlighten the hearts and minds of those who are gathered and listening over the internet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's get up to speed to chapter 11. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So this is God's plan. Flood's over. Be fruitful. Multiply. Repopulate. Fill the earth. In chapter 10, you have the descendants of Noah from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you look closely, you're reading, verse 5 says, From these coastlands spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and in their nations. This is the line of Japheth. Then from verse 20, These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Verse 31, these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Then you come to chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, now the whole earth had one language. Uh Uh-oh. Now, here's where your liberal professor will go, you see, the Bible's inconsistent. Because you're assuming something. You're assuming that because 11 follows 10 that this happened after Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, happens during chapter 10. So as the lines of Shem, Ham, and Japheth are coming to be, God performs this act at the Tower of Babel. And for you to understand how they arrived at these different languages and cultures, you have the explanation here in chapter 11 as to actually what happened. So let's turn our attention there. And we're going to see two things happening at Babel. First, the pride of man. 
And secondly, the providence of God. First, the pride of man. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. It means all people who are speaking and alive have one language, same words. Now, that's not hard to grasp. They all came from these three sons of Noah. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. The east is always away from Eden. You see this with Cain, and you'll see it later with Lot. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And then they took brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So they, they form a way to build a building that leads to permanence. Now, what you see here is technology and innovation. Up to this point, they lived in huts or some kind of shack or something made out of very temporary items. But they formed the ability here to make bricks and to make something that would have led to some form of permanence for them. Verse 4, it gets deeper. Then they said, once they come up with the ability to make bricks, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Now what happens here is that the activities and decisions of these people reveal of where they have arrived and where men or mankind will both personally and collectively end up every time and that's self-sufficiency. We or I can accomplish this on my own. They're, they're organizing their lives in such a way to where God is entirely unnecessary. So I would just say this in the onset of the sermon. It's not so much in the world that you live in that people don't believe. That's not the core issue in America. They don't even want to talk about it. God's not necessary. People have arrived at a sufficient life to where they don't, even, they don't even have to think about God. So if you say to somebody, could I pray for you? How could I pray for you? What's the answer you're going to get? I don't, I don't need that. Try it. I don't really need for you to pray for anything. It's because we've arrived at a form in, in, of self-sufficiency. This is exactly where these people were. Now, they decide they're going to build a city, a place for all of them to gather where they can trade and do business with each other. In the city, they're going to build a tower with its top to the heavens. Now, we know in Babylonian culture, these are called ziggurats. Uh, they look similar to a pyramid, but instead of smooth sides, they had stepped up sides, built out of bricks. In fact, the Babylonian culture had a festival of bricks every year. They celebrated the fact that they were smart enough to make bricks. Okay, really, they did. They would build these ziggurats and the top section would be painted a pale sky blue saying we've reached the heavens. Now these were places of worship, but most of the time when I've heard Babel interpreted, the interpretation is the people were trying to reach heaven. That's not the core issue. The core issue is the next phrase. Let us make a name for ourselves. There's the core issue. The core issue is the pride of man. That they want to be known and make a name for themselves among each other and in the world. Further, 
They don't want to be dispersed. Now, whose plan was it to be dispersed? It was God's plan. Fill the earth. So we don't want to fill the earth. We all want to come together in one place and make a name for ourselves. Now, folks, it doesn't take long to look into our world and recognize that there are all kinds of similarities to this, of men and women living self-sufficient lives, seeking to make a name for themselves. It, it, it drives our economy, it drives education, it drives athletics. Everything is about positioning ourselves so that people know who we are. Now, now we have these little devices that we carry around that we're trying to gain significance on based on how many people like whatever we post in social media. We want to be known. This is, this is the evidence of our sin nature raising up. And wherever you assemble human beings, they'll do this. They'll say, this is important. And if you do this, you've made yourself known. So do this. And it's all kinds of random things that human beings will do. But we want to be known. Now, let's, let's think about it in terms of building a building to be known. For those of you that were alive on September the 11th, 2001, you remember consciously the horror of that day. You remember the fear of knowing that we had been attacked on our soil, of not knowing what was supposed to transpire next. I was supposed to go to Charlotte that afternoon and... and uh, remember thinking, is it, as I'm driving over there, is this going to happen in Charlotte? But here's one of the greatest horrors, and in fact, this was talked about multiple times at length for the next several weeks. One of the greatest horrors for me, being honest, and I think for a lot of people, was simple fact is that the towers fell down. How could this happen? You, if you remember back there, you remember the accusations at the engineers and they didn't engineer it properly and the building should have never collapsed. It should have withstood all this. We were shocked that our ingenuity fell apart. I don't know if you've thought about this. I, I got interested and did a little research. Since 9-11, the 10 tallest buildings in the world have been built. It's almost like because those buildings collapsed, Man has now got this drive to build the tallest possible structure he can. So the Burj in Dubai is 2,717 feet tall. That's twice the height of the World Trade Center. Two times. Now, from there down, you got to get way down into like number 25 now to get to the height of the, of the World Trade Center. In the place, this is just free if you've never thought about this. In the place of the World Trade Center, most people don't even consciously know what the name of the new building is. It's the One World Trade Center. So here's what, here's what man has said. We'll build this building and we're going to call it the One World Trade Center to say, this is where humanity did terrible, but this is where humanity comes together. We still think if we build something, that we're going to get everybody together and get everybody on the same page. Now, before I move, move on, the church is the same way. We start adopting unbiblical worldly ideas into the life of the church and we begin to, to, 
to, to use the field of dreams mentality, if we build it, they will come. I've answered this at least 10 times in my ministry here at Parkwood. And it's not all the time I get this question, but I've had it multiple times. Whose steeple's taller, Parkwood's or First Press? Who cares? Who really cares? By the way, it's First Press. <laughs> you comp competition people, it's taller. Folks, we, we drag this kind of make a name for ourselves into the mentality of, of what we're supposed to be doing for the kingdom of God. We were discussing this as a staff and, and, and applying this in our own hearts, looking in our own wicked hearts as pastors. Okay, where are we doing this? And Pastor Kim told a story of being in Dominican Republic where this has kind of become famous among the missionaries in the DR that there is this big, large church building. It's empty. Nobody uses it. And on the side is a big sign written in English, built by First Baptist Church blank blank in the year of blankety blank, whatever. In English. So this is saying for every American who comes to the Dominican Republic, look at what we did. We're really proud of this building and what we did. And I'm sure when they were down there, they were doing it for Jesus. Friends, you and I, must realize that we live in the city of man and the city of man wants to make a name for himself and the city of man wants to do things his way apart from God. And God has said in Isaiah 42 verse eight, I am the Lord and my name, that is my name and my glory I give to no other. Now what drives God to act at Babel is that. I'm not sharing my glory with Babel. I'm not sharing my glory with these people. So God moves, and we see here the providence of God. God is unhindered by man. He's God. He is the sovereign of the universe, and he can act and do whatever he pleases. And he acts here. It says he came down. He comes down to accomplish his purpose for which he created the world, and he accomplishes it here. Genesis 9-1 is accomplished. As a result of what God does here, he fills the earth. He sends people all over the earth. How does he do it? And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Now, you got to see from the onset there's irony here. Or I hesitate to use this word because some people think it's a negative word. There's sarcasm here. And remember, they're going to build a building to reach the heavens. And God's saying... In this verse, I can't see it. So I, I can't see it, so I'm going to have to come down here where I can see it. And then he says, built by the, what does it say? The children of man. So here's what God's saying. Y'all just down here playing Legos. <laughs> this is speaking to the insignificance of what these people were actually doing. So if you think in these texts, particularly when we get to this next section, that God's threatened here, God's not threatened. That's not the point. He says they are one people, they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. It's not that God thinks they're going to take his place, no. Here's what God knows. 
God knows that man, because he's created in the image of God, has tremendous innovative and creative abilities. And praise God that through the ingenuity of man, vaccinations have been created. And that there are many of you in this room alive today who would not be alive if it weren't for a simple shot that you got as a child. But think of where medicine's going and where healthcare is headed and where biotechnology is headed. Where it's headed is, is to create a way that man lives how long? Forever. God's not going to allow that. You got this multiple commercials every day for Watson, this super computer who's not just taking now the place of blue collar workers who ran a machine. Watson's now taking the place of pro scouts and people who use their brain and eyes for a living. You see, what man will do is man will innovate himself to the point he harms himself. Example, the atomic bomb. Two or three people alive on this earth today have the power in their finger to end the earth. That we have created things that we can destroy ourselves with. And what God is saying is, in his providence, he's going to act because God's will is going to be done. He's going to accomplish his will. I don't believe that the world will be destroyed by an atomic bomb because that's not how the book ends. Now, if you want to twist Revelation to say that how it ends, then you're putting the end of the world in man's hands and not God's. God's going to end the world the way God sees fit. He's God. It's not up to man how that's how that's going to be. Now here's how God acts here. He confuses and scatters man. Come let us go down. He's speaking Trinitarian here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, come let us go down. And there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off the building of the city. <laughs> Notice what God's doing here. I told you to fill the earth. Now they're gonna go fill the earth and they left off what they were doing. It's unfinished. My work's gonna be done. Their work is stopped. Therefore, its name was called Babel, which means confused or mixed up because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them from all over the face of the earth. Uh, Jacob Manier, who works with me as pastoral assistant, studied linguistics in, in college. And he's told me that all languages come from three basic language trees. So any language that someone speaks, you can bring it back to these three basic trees. And you see how these things were created. That it really is a simple thing that God accomplished here as he confuses the, the, the languages of the world and sends people off. But even though God accomplishes this to fill the earth, God has grander purposes for the world and he promises that those purposes are going to come to pass. And we see it in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. I'll just read it for you. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So God is going to change the speech of peoples, nations, and give them a pure speech, one speech to where they're going to call on the name of the Lord. Now notice, it's God who's going to make this change. 
Now this leads me to make application. To ask, what does this Tower of Babel have to do with us? First, the gospel genuinely brings people together. You got all this argument. I'm just being grotesquely simple here. If everybody just think like a Republican, the world would be fine. If everybody just think like a Democrat, the world would be fine. Is that not the basic argument of both these groups? <laughs> but however, once you get inside the Republican Party, they don't agree with each other. And once you get inside the Democratic Party, they don't agree with each other. And you can break it down to a congressman's office that the people who work in the congressman's office don't agree with each other. But yet we're convinced that we can just build the right thing or come up with the right innovation and we're gonna bring the whole world together. Read Steve Jobs' biography, what he thought he was gonna do with Apple. On the simplest level, the iPhone has separated families. On the simplest of levels. We believe that we're gonna accomplish something that we're not gonna do, but God can do what God said he was going to do and he does it through the power of the gospel. In Acts chapter two, I want you to turn there with me. A lot of confusion about Acts chapter two. What's exactly going on here? I'm gonna tell you what's going on in Acts chapter two. The reversal of Babel. What God judges at Babel, he reverses through Christ at the day of Pentecost. Now that we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That means they spoke different languages. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear of us in his own native language? And it's listed where they're from. Pick up in verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What it means is, is that God's work of salvation has been accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that which was separating them, now they are brought together through Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both into one and broken down the flesh and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That means that people that we are normally and naturally separated from that we are now brought together in Christ. Now, I want to be clear because somebody asked me, I don't know how, how I alluded to this. Somebody said, do, 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 I, do I agree with the Muslim ban as a result of what I said today? No, I do not. Let me tell you why I don't. Because God told us to go to the nations, did he? Well, we're not. So you know what God's doing? This is just like God. He's bringing them to us. So believers, you better look at this, at what's going on in the world around you a little bit different. 
And I'm not here to argue about terrorism and all that other stuff. We look at things different than the rest of the world. Why? Because the walls of hostility through Christ have been broken down. We don't see people as our enemies. We see people as enemies of God who need the gospel. Because we were once enemies. We were God's enemies, separated from him. And through Christ and the proclamation of the gospel, we have heard this gospel and the walls have been broken down for us. Let me illustrate this for you with an, an instance I had. Back when I was youth pastor, I took the youth on a mission trip into Mexico and our, one of our roles for the week was to put the roof on a chapel in a prison. Now, I knew this was risky, but after I got there, I felt when I walked in the first day, I will not have a job after this week. I'm just gonna say it now and clear, it was dangerous. <laughs> there were no bars in this prison it was just people all in this big facility who just were free to roam from murderers to petty thefts. Men and women all mixed in this one property. I've felt threatened very few times in my life and this was one of them. I don't consciously remember a guard. I'm sure there were some there. I don't remember them. They were more concerned of with us than they were with the prisoners. So our job was to do this concrete roof and we we're supposed to have a concrete mixer. Now, concrete is made up of a concrete mixture, bitumite, all right, rocks and sand. You mix those three things together. Now, if you've ever picked up a bag of sand, rock or concrete mix, all three of them are, I mean, heavy. So you imagine me, a couple other men, and a bunch of teenagers who'd never worked physically in their life standing around this pile that we put together with shovels and water, and we're mixing this by hand. Meanwhile, hundreds of prisoners, I mean hundreds, more than here, are surrounding us, far as from me to you in the pile, ridiculing us, making fun of us. All right, so now you got the stress of I'm in a prison, you got the stress of a hard work. I don't know how we're going to accomplish it. And the red-headed redneck surfaces. Whoop! I finally turned around and said, where's the translator? Bring the translator over here to me. I said, now you talk to them and you talk loud enough they can hear you. And you tell them, I'm talking just like this. You tell them I said they can stand there all day and make fun of us or some of them can help. <laughs> I remember, I remember, look, turn around looking at everybody behind me going, we're dead. We're all dead. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, the main one that was ridiculing me right there, he never stopped. He never stopped all day. But out of the crowd started coming men and women. And here's what we found out as the week went on. They were followers of Jesus who didn't have enough courage to step out and help. But because we were there and we showed the courage to come in and we showed the courage to stand up and help them, they joined with us. And I want to say to you, I learned that day about the breaking of walls. I never asked any of them what they did. They never told me. But I'm sure I worked hand in hand with murderers. 
but they were my brothers and my sisters. Why? Because they helped me? No, no. They were my brothers and sisters because of Jesus Christ, my Lord. We have developed a mentality that all Christians are Americans. Friends, that's false. There are men and women who follow Jesus in this world who are communists. There are men and women who follow Jesus in this world that represent ideas that you and I would not agree with. What brings us together is not our political philosophy. It is not the color of this tent. It is not the language that we speak. What brings us together is Christ. And what compels us to go to them is the gospel. Last and final point. Though we are brought together by the gospel, we realize that we're at odds with the world around us. The world doesn't think like we think as as believers. It doesn't do life like we do. It doesn't raise its kids. It doesn't spend its money. So what do we have to do? That while living in the midst of the city of man, we seek the city that is to come. uh, Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse eight, we're introduced to Abraham. It says, Abraham obeyed God. We're gonna look at that next week. He lived in tents. This is verses eight through 10. He lived in tents because he was seeking, verse 10, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. You see, Abraham, unlike the people at Babel, is not going to build his own city. He's looking for God's city. Verse 13, those all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's who you are. You're a stranger and an exile. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God as he has prepared them for them, a city. You see, friends, we are to be a distinct people who live against the backdrop of the darkness of this world. We realize that this world and the things in this world are not permanent. We realize this is not all there is. And what our lives should be saying to those around us is, this is not all there is. We should be regularly asked, why are you so goofy? But you see, there's the tension. You realize the city of man's going on around you and because you want to make a name for yourself, you don't want to be goofy. So the only way not to be goofy is to just join up with the city of man and do what the city of man does. When God has called us to be his unique and distinct people, we seek first the kingdom of God, not because that's simply the right thing to do, We seek the kingdom of God because we've been transformed. We've been changed. Zephaniah, I'm back there. It's right in the middle of the Bible. Zephaniah chapter three, verse nine. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples 
to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of the, my dispersed ones shall bring my offerings. All these people, God spread out all over the world. The gospel's going to all these people. And God's gonna change people all over the world. And on that day, you shall, be put, you shall not be put to shame. So the day of the coming of Christ, you not be put to shame because of the deeds which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. So listen to me. On the day you stand before Christ, nobody's gonna say, I made a name for myself. Look at what I did. There'll be no plaques in heaven. They won't exist. Because here are the people God has. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, for I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, and they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. See, this is who we are. We're a people who seek our refuge in the Lord. This world around us that's moving in a different pace and in a different direction than we are, we recognize, we recognize that it is only through Christ that we can survive. I want you to hear me when I'm about to say, and if, I don't make, if I'm not clear, you come ask me after the service. I'm grateful it's getting difficult for Christians. I'm grateful. You know why? Because it's humbling you. To arrogantly walk around here, and if you paid attention, the language coming out of America was, we're God's new chosen people. <laughs> Look at us. God will never have a haughty people. Never. God's people are a humbled people. And if God has to bring his people through calamity to humble them, he will. Because he is God. So friends, as, as you look out at the world around you that says, come by this. Send your children here. We'll give them refuge. Come on. Know this. Refuge is in the Lord God and in him alone. And it is a humble people who understand and grasp and know that we do not seek the city of man. We are not consumed with the city of man. We seek the city of God, which means, I just love how God works. Jesus comes to the end, and what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Does this sound familiar? Genesis Chapter nine, this is where we're going next week in chapter 12 with Abram. God's plan is to get his name to the nations. Is God's plan gonna work? How do you know that? Because in Revelation chapter seven, it says at the throne of God, there's gonna be a people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every land. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. God's gonna do it 
with or without you. You, if you are in Christ, here's what's true of you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people of God's own possession so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, in the midst of darkness, the city of man, we dwell in light. The light of the gospel of Christ. And you're here on this earth as a redeemed brother or sister in Christ to make him known. Now, you're not sufficient for that. You're not. So that's why we gather here every week and we exposit the word of God to remind us we're not sufficient. To remind us we can't do this on our own. There's always John Wayne Christians out there. I got it. We need each other. And listen, let me drive it down to the growth group level. I can't interact with you the way you need to be interacted with as a follower of Jesus. I can't. I can preach the word to you, but I cannot interact with all of you. The reason we have formed growth groups is to come together and to honestly dig deeper into the word of God and to honestly confess to one another your desires and your struggles as it relates to living out your faith in the world, to pray for each other, to encourage each other and to spur one another on. Here's what church is not. Church is not a head to where you show up on Sunday, lift the lid on your head, we dump some information, you shut the lid and you're gonna go out here and live for Jesus. That's not how it works. You're a mind, a heart, and a body. And God has designed that you live in community with other believers who spur each other on toward love and good deeds and you do it all the more as you see the day what? You know what that means? It's gonna get harder the closer it gets. I need you. You need me. You need each other. So that we might live for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I know through the power of your spirit, you are convicting men and women in this room who are pursuing the city of man and the kingdom of man as hard as they can who try to placate their conscience once a week by coming to church and thinking that'll make them feel better about what they're doing. God, I pray you convict them and cause them to understand that you will not share your glory, your name with anyone. That our lives are to be lived faithfully in this world for the sake of Christ. That though we seek the good of the city, we don't seek the city. We seek the kingdom of God. So brothers and sisters, I pray for you that you will humble yourselves before the Lord, that you will confess your need for Christ, 
that you will confess your need for the body of Christ and that you will say to Jesus now, I will obey the work of your kingdom and not my own. Do your work in us, we pray, oh God. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.